The reading this morning is from Philippians 1, 12 to 26. Paul's chains advance the gospel. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the, in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again your boasting in Jesus Christ will abound on account of me. I'd like to begin by asking the Lord's blessing and help as we give thanks for his word and, and think about it together. Father, we are thankful for your word. We thank you, Father, for the help of the Holy Spirit who will reveal Jesus Christ to us, what he's done and what he means. We thank you, Father, for your servant, Paul, and what we can learn from him. And as we give time this morning to the word of God through Paul, we ask, Father, that the Holy Spirit will lead us further into how Paul thought that we might ourselves grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ and be about your business <coughs> in this world for Jesus' sake. Amen. If you've ever asked someone or concerning someone, I wonder what, wonder, wonder what makes him or her tick, uh, you're asking something like, what really matters to that person? What drives or motivates that person? What's he or she living for? 
why does he act like he does? And in today's Bible reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians, we are given a little window into what made Paul tick. And I'd like to look at this with you this morning and think about what made him tick and see what we can learn from Paul and so be encouraged and stimulated for our own Christian faith and life. You see, Paul didn't say that or claim that there was one kind of Christian faith or Christianity for him and one kind for everyone else. And so we actually can learn from Paul and be encouraged uh, by what made him tick. But first I'd like to have a little reminder of the background to this letter. Uh, Steve certainly gave a background last week <coughs> and uh, I'm just going to remind us again of some, something of this. Now today Philippi is a ruin in northeast Greece but in Paul's day it was a strategic city in the ancient world for it was on the high road dividing the two continents of Europe and Asia. Philippi was a city of Macedonia, a Roman colony. Philippi was a great commercial city due to its productive soil and its gold and silver mines. Now God called the Apostle Paul and his missionary companion Silas to plant a church in Philippi. And this church would be in a strategic place as a base for the gospel to Europe. We read an account of this in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16. Now, Paul had a vision in the night in which he saw a man of Macedonia standing and urging, come over to Macedonia and help us. We'll take care if you ever have a vision in the night because it may possibly be that God is calling you to share the gospel with someone. Well, Paul and Silas were obedient to God's call and they travelled to Philippi and they preached the gospel there. And so Philippi was the first city in the continent of Europe in which the gospel was preached. And therefore God worked through these two men, Paul and Silas, to establish a church in Philippi. The first converts included a wealthy Jewish merchant lady, Lydia, a Greek slave girl who was used as a fortune teller and a Roman prison keeper. Well, there you are. What a motley crew. But the church is still a motley crew, isn't it? We all come from different backgrounds, different life experiences, and yet God brings us together through the gospel. Well, God's power and grace were certainly at work church started from a handful of people and it grew and it can still do that. Now about 10 years later Paul wrote a letter to this church in Philippi. He had received a gift of money from the church. They'd been so grateful that Paul had brought the gospel to them that they wanted to support him financially. But they'd also supported him physically by sending one of their members, a man called Epaphroditus, who had domestic skills to serve Paul while he was under arrest uh, 
in Rome awaiting his trial. So let's go on now to what made Paul tick. In short, even as this little passage shows, it is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done for us, his grace. And there are three parts in today's passage that indicate that it is the gospel that made Paul tick. We could summarise them as, one, gospel possibilities, two, gospel priority, and three, gospel purpose for living and provision for dying. We'll take them one by one. We are familiar, of course, with the idea of possibilities. Some people here, I'm sure, would like to go on overseas journeys, trips, holidays, and have been. And you might look up in the Saturday Advertiser travel section and say, oh dear, there's lots of possibilities for us, for us next year here. And there are also what we might call gospel possibilities for we believers as we journey through life. Paul says here, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And so we see that although Paul's circumstances were very unpleasant, who would want to be chained up? And those sort of chains that um, we saw earlier would be probably the sort that Paul had round his ankles. He was in limiting and restrictive circumstances, but he says they actually turned out to be a help, not a hindrance, to the spreading of the good news of Jesus, presumably because... Well, it had given Paul new possibilities for making known the gospel to people that he otherwise wouldn't have normally spoken to, namely the soldiers chained to Paul on a roster basis. Now, although Paul had been bound, the word of God could not be bound. And when Paul went to Rome as a prisoner... The gospel went to Rome. I have here a little booklet. It's titled, God's Man is in Hospital. And it was put together by a a retired minister, the late Ian Robertson, who was a friend of mine, and he put it together, had it printed shortly after he'd spent a week in hospital. And shortly before he died, he felt a burden on his heart to share things he'd experienced in hospital in a book. And for this reason, in the inside cover, he says, A surprise week in an old retired preacher's life offered as an encouragement to anyone who wants to tell others about Jesus. 
And in his booklet, he shares his, how he had conversation with a young ambulance officer on the way to hospital and also to nurses and doctors while he was in hospital. And I'd just like to read one, one example from his book and it's called Rihanna. She's very young and tall and slim. And for some reason I was surprised when she told me that she had two children, six at eight years of age. Part of the RN's uniform is a name tag, but this young lady had no such identification showing. Can I ask you your name? I can't see your name tag. But it was there all right, just twisted back to front. There it is, she said, Rihanna. And she wanted to tell me how her name was linked to that of her mother. She'd come in to monitor a clever contraption to which I was connected, which admits at a precise measured rate a drug into the vein in the forearm. In my case, it was a mixture of two antibiotics. Drop by drop, drip, 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 the necessary medication was being absorbed into my body. All I had to do was to lie reasonably still. How long will this take? I asked her. A couple of hours, she said. And I inwardly complained, wondering how I was going to stay still for the next two hours. Rihanna was watching the process carefully, making sure that all was going well, that the liquid was going in at the prescribed rate. And seeing that Rihanna was waiting there for a moment, I broached the same subject which I had touched upon when speaking with the doctors. You were spending all your time with sick people. Yes. But what if there were no sickness? No sickness? I'd be out of a job. Can't imagine that. Because I see that Rihanna is interested. She looks at me with a quizzical expression. I'm able to stick with our conversation. But it's all wrong, isn't it? It'd be much better without sickness and suffering. Imagine that. Rihanna looked up, her face bright. It would be heaven, she exclaimed. Our point of contact. Yes, it would. I took the opportunity to tell of what we might call the greater reality, heaven, life with God, and how we're all being called. Rihanna listened. I'm ever amazed at the openness of people. Rihanna just stopped in her tracks. We Christians tend to be too cautious when it comes to sharing anything of the eternal. We assume that our hearers are more resistant than they really are. We think we may offend, but I'm sure that they are more than ready to listen. This is, I think, because of deep spiritual hunger within which only the truth can satisfy. When someone is open to consider the eternal, you never know where it might end up.
although Ian had found himself in unpleasant and unfamiliar situations in hospital, and I'm sure that our uh, chaplain here, Meredith, <coughs> would relate to that as she goes around. Being in hospital is an unfamiliar situation for some people. Yet Ian saw gospel possibilities in them. And like Paul, Ian didn't think to himself, well, now I'm here, there's nothing I can do for the Lord. The Lord can use all sorts of circumstances in a believer's life to work through that believer to actually to help advance the gospel. Duncan mentioned coming up as part of the winter school, someone's going to talk about how we might share our testimony to lead someone to know about Jesus. So that would be very helpful for us to reflect on our own stories as Ian attempted to do in his book. Now there may well be gospel possibilities for ourselves as well where we are. Maybe they are with a family member, a neighbour perhaps, opportunities at work, possibilities at play or study. There's no stereotype way of using such gospel possibilities. And I believe we need to be ourselves. But let's try and think of some possible ways. Well, offering to pray for someone who shares some trouble with you could be a good start. People don't often turn that offer down and it may get them thinking and it is an expression of care and love. Or if someone was to say to you, did you have a good weekend? Or what did you do last weekend? You might say, well, I went to church and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> or there may be an appropriate opportunity for you to let someone know at work or elsewhere that you are a Christian, that you are a believer in Jesus. Invariably, topic of conversations come up about contemporary issues. Well, people can express their views. And you may share a Christian view on that topic too. Now, when it comes to making use of gospel possibilities, I believe that prayer is very important to us. We could start the day and and included in our talking to the Lord, we could say, well, Lord, if there are any opportunities that come my way today, would you help me to see them and seize them? Would you help me, Lord, to be bold where I need to be and wise where I need to be in taking them up? But perhaps it really comes down to two things, show and tell showing something of Jesus in our life, perhaps our attitudes, as Martin pointed out to us, that can get people thinking. Or our words or our actions, showing something of Jesus in our life, but also tell, telling something, if possible, of Jesus with our lips. 
maybe a personal testimony can be appropriate of what the Lord has done or is doing for you. And a kind and loving act can speak loudly. Show and tell. Well, after saying his circumstances actually served to advance the gospel, Paul then adds, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And so Paul's experience is actually uh, affected not only outsiders, the palace guard, but insiders, other believers. Now you may have read in church history, if you like church history, of some brave and bold Christians that have inspired you. And we had reference to the Reformation theology earlier on this year in preaching with Duncan that it can inspire us, men who stood for the truth of the gospel and women. But maybe not church history for you. It might be a magazine you subscribe to and you read about someone today who has really got a brave braveness about their faith or a perseverance, someone who is bold or someone you personally know or have known who has inspired you to go forward further in your own Christian life to be a bolder Christian. Now at the back of this little booklet by Ian is a page and it's titled Afterthoughts. Now sometimes we have afterthoughts and they're valuable because they've they come out of personal reflection. And one afterthought is titled Boldness, Ian writes. Yes, we tend to be timid in our witnessing. We do not wish to offend or impose, but a step taken in humility to God and in love for others will not be abrasive or arrogant. Another of Ian's afterthoughts is titled Risk, he writes. I think that risk of inadequacy or failure is a big hindrance to the exercise of our faith sharing. The very nature of faith has to do with risk. It's the very way we come to God. Now we too, by boldness, can be an encouragement to other Christians. So let's encourage one another. And motivating our taking up of gospel possibilities is our knowledge of the love of Christ. As Paul says elsewhere, Christ's love controls us. Let's go on now to the second thing in the passage that tells us what made Paul tick was the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and we could call this part gospel priority. Now Paul says the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached and because of this I rejoice. Well it appears that there were some other preachers in Rome who were preaching Christ 
but out of envy and rivalry. I wonder whether, whether their noses were put out of joint, so to speak, by the arrival of the great Apostle Paul. We don't know the details. He doesn't elaborate here, but we do know his attitude, and his attitude to this was the important thing is that in every way Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Now, maybe it would be a bit like <clears throat> a hypothetical church down the road that is out to be the biggest in town. We can still rejoice if they're preaching the gospel, even if it is being done in a spirit of competition. And Paul's attitude of gospel priority can also mean that a person doesn't hold a particular ministry to himself or herself alone, but is happy to share it with others for the sake of the gospel. Paul didn't tell these other preachers to stop preaching, for Paul's message was more important than motive. One day, John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw a man casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him, because he was not following us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. Gospel priority. But why? At the Milan Cathedral, uh, there are three inscriptions over the respective doorways. Over the right-hand door, there is this motto. All that pleases is but for a moment. Over the left-hand doorway, the words are, all that troubles is but for a moment. But over the central door, there is a simple sentence, nothing is important save that which is eternal. Paul knew that the gospel had priority because it deals with that which is eternal. As John writes in his first letter, God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God has not life. Well, John speaks very plainly. C.S. Lewis once went to hear a young minister deliver a sermon. Very much in earnest, the young man ended his message like this. And now, my friends, if you do not, do not believe these truths, there may be for you grave eschatological consequences. <laughs> Lewis later visited the young minister and asked him, did you mean that they would be in danger of hell? Why, yes, said the minister. Then why in the world didn't you say so, Lewis replied. 
Yes, the Lord Jesus taught about hell. But he died on that cross to save us from our sins that could take us there. And so Paul could later confidently declare, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. Yes, gospel priority. But let's think for a minute what it might mean both for the church and for ourselves personally if the gospel has priority for the church. Two things in particular. Preach and practice. If the gospel has priority for a church then it will shape its message and it will shape its mission. And for ourselves personally, if the gospel has priority for ourselves, two things in particular come to mind. Living and giving. The gospel will shape our living and will shape our giving. Because we belong to Christ, we are to behave worthy of him. And because Christ gave himself for us, we can give ourselves to him. And that can be worked out in our time, talent and treasure. We're going on now to the third thing in today's reading that tells us that it was the gospel that made Paul tick. And we could call this part God, gospel purpose for living and provision for dying. Now a person might say, I live for my sport or I live for my work and so on and so on. Paul could say, I am living for the Lord, Jesus. To me, to live is Christ, he says. You see, in short, Paul loves the Lord Jesus. He has experienced the Lord's mercy to him. He wants to live for him and please him and honour him. He knew that he'd been forgiven much. And Jesus had once said, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. And elsewhere Paul could write, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And you can say that. And gave himself for me. To me to live is Christ. Now, in effect, Paul is saying, Christ is my all. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes this. God has made Christ our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, 
our redemption. If we were to put that in simpler English, do you want to be wise? Then you have got all the wisdom you need in Jesus. Do you want to be good? Then you've got all the righteousness you need in Jesus. Do you want to be different? Then you've got all the sanctification you need in Jesus. Do you want to be free? Then you've got all the redemption you need in Jesus. Christ is your all. To me, to live is Christ. And we can live for Christ in our daily work and in our gospel work. In the letter to the Ephesians, we hear this. Work with enthusiasm, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do. And in the letter to the Corinthians, we hear this. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless well one day to the faithful the Lord Jesus will say this well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful over a little I will set you over much come and enter into the joy of your master Now, not only does Paul say, to me to live is Christ, he then adds, and to die is gain. Why is to die or to depart gain for a Christian believer? Well, in short, it is because, as Paul says here, it is to be with Christ, which is better by far. A dying man was fearful, even though he was a Christian. He expressed his feelings to his Christian doctor. The physician was silent, not knowing what to say. Just then a whining and a scratching noise was heard at the door. When the doctor opened it, in bounded his big, beautiful dog, who often went with him as he made his house calls. The dog was glad to see his master. Sensing an opportunity to comfort his troubled patient, the doctor said this, My dog has never been in your room before. So he didn't know what it was like in here. But he knew that I was in here, and that was enough. In the same way, I'm looking forward to heaven. I don't know much about it, but I know my saviour is there and that's all I need to know. Paul says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And in his letter to the Corinthians, he says something similar. We are of good courage and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And that's why Paul can say, and to die is gain, and that's why we who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ can say that too. 
and know that death will not separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, but that we will go to be with the Lord and at home with the Lord. Now, Paul's gospel purpose for living is also seen in his concern for the spiritual progress of his fellow Christians, his brothers and sisters in Christ. He says here that on the one hand, he desires to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far, but on the other hand, he knows it's more necessary that he remains for their progress and joy in the faith. Now, Paul wasn't what we might call a private Christian. It wasn't only about him and Jesus, but it was even more about his brothers and sisters and Jesus and what he, Paul, could offer them for their progress and joy in the faith. This really mattered to him. What might you and I be able to offer our brothers and sisters in Christ to help them to go forward in their Christian faith and life? <clears throat> Let's think of some possibilities. Something that can be offered is a listening ear. At times we all need to get something off our chest or to share with someone how we're going in our Christian life, particularly if we've got a spiritual struggle, a heartache, a battle of some sort. Personally, I know how I have valued in those times a Christian brother or sister who has had a sensitive, caring, listening ear who's, who really wants to try and understand what I'm going through or my difficulty, who hasn't got cliche answers but who tries to enter in, into it with me. A listening ear. Another thing that will help a brother or sister is prayer. Have you ever had someone say to you, Look, I'll pray for you. Well, I have been praying for you. How encouraging. The other day I was down the office shop and I just saw a lady there that Cheryl and I knew when we were part of St Augustine's <coughs> Anglican Church a little over a year ago. And I went up to her and I said, Oh, it's great to see you. We got talking and in the conversation she just happened to remark, Oh, by the way, I pr I've been praying every day for Cheryl and you. Wow, that was a real encouragement. That would explain a lot, actually. <laughs> Another thing we might do is, if you have a helpful insight in your Bible reading or a Christian book, oh, I think he might value this would you like to read this or I found it helpful I know people have passed things on to me another help of course is encouragement and that's a big one 
And, and it's simply through words, your words, your smiles and your friendliness. And we all need it. Those in ministry need it. Every Christian needs it to help mature, perhaps to persevere in some way. So if we ever think, well, look, Paul is a great teacher and of course, yes, he could help them for their progress and joy in the faith, but I'm not a Paul, I hope we'll think again. Some are not Bible teachers as such, but all believers can share their personal knowledge of the Lord with someone else and that can be very powerful and helpful. There are lots of other ways that believers can help other Christians progress. Two that come to mind are music and singing. We have been blessed this morning through those who have offered their musical talents. Helping behind the scenes to see things run smoothly is another. People who come early here and get things set up so that we can come in and worship. That is a real help. Hospitality is another and some people are going to open up their homes for the winter uh, warmers. That's a blessing to us. And so on and so on. Friends, we've seen how it was the gospel that made Paul tick. And Paul made good use of his gospel possibilities. He gave priority to gospel proclamation. And he let the gospel shape his purpose for living and give him courage for dying. And later in his letter he writes this, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. Shall we pray? Again we praise you, Father, that we have come to know the mercy and grace and love of your heart through your Son, whom you sent into the world and who died on that cross, that we can be saved, forgiven, reconciled, come into your family, live with you forever that he rose from the dead, he's alive today to be our constant companion. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Help us, Father, in our daily living to live for Jesus Christ. With the help of your Holy Spirit, he is our helper. Thank you that we can have gospel opportunities where we are. Help us to see them and to seize them. Help us, Heavenly Father, to see the priority of the gospel more clearly. You do not desire sinners to perish. You desire people to be saved, to come to a knowledge of the truth. Help us to be willing and able to be bearers of your gospel. Help us to let it shape our own lives, that we walk 
lives worthy of the Lord. Help us, Father, in all these things that we've been thinking about this morning, to go forward, to progress, to go further into our Christian maturity. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of thinking about your word. And we ask for the Holy Spirit to keep it in our hearts and to shape our lives by it. For Jesus' sake. Amen.